0: Thank you for having me. We've all remarked, well, not we've all, a couple of the guys uh, remarked in the first meeting that the beauty of uh, creation and boy, this is, this is about as good as it gets, doesn't it? Wow. When I uh, was uh, scheduled to come here, uh, um, I don't know, a couple months ago or so, I didn't think we'd be at the height of the the fall uh, colors, so it sure is beautiful. So I'm looking forward to a nice drive home. So that'll be, that'll be beautiful. Well, let's have a word of prayer and then open up uh, the word. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us opportunity to study, study your word and ask that you would help us to learn what it is that you have for us. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Thank you that you sent your son to come and to die in our place. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in each of us who, uh, who has Jesus as our Savior. Father, if there's anyone who is here or who will someday listen um, to this recording who is not yet saved, we ask that you lead them to um, salvation through Jesus Christ. Thank you um, for those of us who are, that, that we have this great gift help us to honor you every day and to live for you wholeheartedly, to live for Jesus and to become more and more like him. Thank you for the book of Lamentations. It's not an easy, happy book, but um, there's so much to learn from it. So help us to do so today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I, I, I thought of starting this message by saying, boy, um, have you heard in the news of what happened in Jerusalem and that it's been destroyed? They breached the walls and uh, thousands of people have been captured and uh, people were killed, laid dying on the ground. And I thought of opening that way to maybe make you think, oh, Jerusalem like last night was destroyed and, and the, the bad guys broke broke the walls down and and burned the temple up and killed lot, but i didn't want to startle anyone or that sort of thing because that's not what ap- actually happened as far as i know uh though of course israel has been in the news and uh, all that's going along with all of that i think it was three weeks ago yesterday was it that um that hamas attacked and did some horrible horrible things and we eventually Saw videos and pictures of of some of the results of the horrible horrible things that they did, and uh, so it's good to pray for the nation of Israel. Good to pray that overall that you know we don't want people to die unnecessarily and such, but um, especially pray for Israel. Um, before we get into Lamentations, sometimes the question is asked when when terrible stuff like that happens to Israel. Oh, does this mean that the Lord's going to return real soon? Is this a a sign of such things? And I say, well, really not necessarily any more than the, you know, flipping the calendar to the next day. Each day is, I guess, a sign that we're closer to the uh, return of the Lord each day is a see the next event we're looking for on the um, eschatological calendar the calendar of of end times things the next event is the rapture right and that is some theologians like the word imminent it's gonna happen at any moment we're not there's God's not saying We have to wait for this sign or that sign for us to know that it's going to happen real soon. It's just going to happen at some point, and we don't know when it is, and it could be today, and it could be 100 years from now. We don't know when when it's going to be, but at some point... The Lord's going to come, and the rapture's going to happen. Those who are in Christ Jesus are going to go up and meet the Lord in the air, and we're going to go up and be with the Lord, and that's going to be great. And then, and that's the, that's going to be a sign, if you will, of the fact that the tribulation is going to happen very soon, and all those events that happen in the book of Revelation, especially. So, Sometimes people think, okay, all that happened there in Israel, oh, now that's a sign that the rapture happen any moment now, but already we, we already had that. No, that's not to say that, that the events of Israel don't teach us that it could happen real quickly. I mean, it is a good reminder of that. Um, and it shows that things could happen very quickly, the, the events of the tribulation years could happen extremely quickly. And we see that in what is happening right now in Israel. So good to pray for that. Good to remember to make sure that we are right with the Lord and that we're telling others about how they can be right with the Lord. But back to the book of Lamentations, Uh, you guys have been kind enough to let me speak here a few times already in that book. Chapters one, two, and three, we've covered in the past three times I've been here. And so we're in chapter four today of Lamentations. And um, so just as a little bit of review, Ashlyn and Eva, did you guys do the walk through the Old Testament with me? I'm sure you guys remember and review all the lessons we did at camp, right? You remember every lesson we did, right? So at camp one year, this is five or six years, maybe seven years ago. So you guys probably would have been junior campers, I'm not sure, at that time. And we did the walk through the Old Testament in the evenings, my memory tells me. Lydia, I don't think you were yet a junior camper at that point. And it's creation, fall, flood, nations. Do you guys remember that? It's all right if you don't. (laughs) Okay, so in the Old Testament, it, this gives kind of the big picture of, uh, of uh, what happens in the Old Testament. And we learned this way back when I was at Emmaus, and you guys learned that when you were at Emmaus. I've, I've, I teach a shortened version of the walk through the Old Testament. But anyway, uh, creation, fall, flood, nations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Passover, uh, uh, the law, etc., and all these uh, different things. Anyway so uh, eventually um, the people of Israel they're enslaved under Abraham the nation starts he's the founder and they move to what is now known as Israel and um, eventually they become enslaved and they grow into a gigantic nation during their 400 plus years in Egypt then they get out they cross across the Red Sea and and then eventually I'm making a long story short. Uh, eventually, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Eventually, they cross the Jordan River, and uh, they take over um, what is now known as Israel, the Promised Land. They take that over. Um, eventually, uh, there are, uh, there's, they're ruled by judges, but then they, they have kings, and they've got um, first Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. Then the nation divides after three kings with the united monarchy the nation divides into the north and the south and the north is is israel the north is israel and the south is judah so we got israel in the north and judah in the south and in 722, the Assyrians come, and what do they do to Israel? Scatter. They scatter. In 722, uh, the Assyrians come, and they defeat Israel, the northern kingdom. And they scatter them all over the place. Judah is still there. But in 588, Babylon, the army of Babylon, comes, and they surround Jerusalem. For 18 months, nobody gets in and nobody gets out of Jerusalem, 18 months, and you can imagine uh, thousands, many thousands of people are there and they can't go out into the fields to get food and uh, it becomes um, a horrible situation people dying and uh, much suffering and much death so that takes place. And that, uh, and then, and finally in 586 BC, the Babylonian army, and, army they break through, tear down the walls uh, of Jerusalem, destroy the temple, kill many, many people. Many had already died from starvation and, and disease um, and and take many captive to Babylon. People like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, and many others. So we come to the book of Lamentations, and um, so uh, and the book of Lamentation is is five laments, five poems, five you might say funeral dirges. Uh, each one is, is, is very separate. And so chap, chapter 4, the fourth of the, these funeral dirges, is one we'll look at today. Chapter 3 actually had some happiness in it. Uh, it's really the only one with much, although there's some subtle joyfulness in chapter 4, if you pay close attention. So we're going to work our way through Lamentations chapter 4 this morning. But big things to keep in mind that is that uh, Jeremiah is probably the one who wrote the book of Lamentations. He had prophesied for decades, I think it was 40 years, but decades he had prophesied to Judah, the southern kingdom, saying, you need to repent, turn away from your idolatry, turn away from your sinfulness and get right with God, turn away from that and turn back to the Lord. And People didn't do it. People didn't repent of their sins. They didn't get right with the Lord. They didn't turn away from the the idolatry. And the result of that is what happens in the, you know, before the book of Lamentations. That is the destruction of Jerusalem. So Lamentations chapter four. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. And so you see that uh, during or as uh, during the 18 months that they're surrounded, even gold has gotten tarnished, the holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. But I think this is more than just talking about gold. I think it's talking about people that are r- what's really precious. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots the work of a potter's hands. It was very common for pottery, for bowls and, and such, to be made out of clay in Bible times. And it was, it was, clay was cheap. You found it all over the place. It was cheap. It was easy to mold. It was also easy to break. But because it was so cheap that if there was a crack in it, and thus it wouldn't hold water, they would just toss it out the window. Let it land on the street and break on the street, and it didn't matter, or throw it wherever it is they would throw it because it was, it became garbage and it didn't, didn't matter. It wasn't worth trying to patch, uh, typically. There, and so the, the sons of Zion. Uh, who are so valuable here, it says, or were considered so valuable, they are regarded as earthen pots and the work of a potter's hands. And, and uh, the Babylonian army has treated them horribly and they're lying in the streets dying. Even the jackals, Off. okay, now what's interesting is verses one and two and verses seven and eight point especially to to young men verse seven her princes were purer than snow whiter than milk their bodies were more ruddy than coral the beauty of their form was like sapphire and so speaks of um young men of being um very you know good looking it says now though their face, instead of being, as it says, purer than snow, now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on the bones. It has become as dry as wood. And because of the malnourishment and, and disease and all the stress that goes along, went along with 18 months of being surrounded by the Babylonian army, all the death and the disease, they are unrecognizable and have gone from, from good-looking, beautiful to um, just, uh, un, yeah, unrecognizable, just a, 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 dis, a physical destruct, destruction of their, their bodies and of their appearance. Even jackals, back to verse 3, because now we're going to see something about the women, so the, the men physically have become uh, tarnished, ruined, wrecked, and uh, seen as uh, less valuable, treated as uh, non-valuable. What's happened with the women? Even jackals offer the breasts. They nurse the young, but the daughter of my people has become cruel. So now we see that the women of Judah have, have, uh, they've become cruel. So these people have become something they're not normally. Jackals are kind of, are an animal that's not, it's not like they're held in high regard like a horse would be in high regard or whatever. They're just, just kind of garbage animals. But even they, even, even female jackals will nurse their young. But the daughter of Judah says they've they become cruel, more like ostriches in the wilderness. I never realized that ostriches were looked down upon so much, but in, in the Bible, they are. In the book of Job, I read a long section. I forget where it is in the book of Job, but somewhere in the book of Job, it talked about ostriches and how how rotten they were. They're big animals, apparently. We're, they're known for being fast, but also they're, they're rather large animals. They uh, lay their eggs on the ground. And so, one, I suppose one reason why they're not seen as wonderful animals is, is they just lay their eggs on the ground and any scavenger could get to them quite easily. About oh, 15 years ago, I was out uh, mushroom hunting one uh, late April, early May, and I'm walking along and uh, I see a a hen turkey walking a um, 100 yards away from me. And then later I catch up to where she had been and I see a, a big nest of eggs. And thought, aha, I found that turkey's nests. So apparently turkeys can be Aren't, aren't such great creatures either because they just leave their nest sitting there. At least that nest was somewhat hidden. You'd have to look around for it, but it would be easy for a raccoon to come along and eat those turkeys, eggs, or, or any such creature. Kind of like the ostriches are not very good mothers, apparently. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives it to them. Verse ten also says a little bit more about the women and how bad it has become. This is this is hard to read, uh, especially with young ones here, but uh, you can you can stomach it. It's in the Word of God after all. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. Isn't that horrible? Think how bad it has gotten that mothers would boil their own children i we we uh, i i would presume that the children have died and now that the mothers are so desperate for food that they've said well here's some meat if i eat it but of course who are we to talk bad about mothers of some other some other nation right i mean here in america you realize it's been 50 years that that abortion has been legalized 1973 uh, over a million per year I, uh, last uh, a while ago it was one point three million um, children were aborted were killed were murdered every year in their mother 's womb and uh, you know America the beautiful america america's not we 're not a perfect nation are we and uh, so we, we, we've had some some ways that we've we 've traded children pretty horribly as well. And that's not the only way, but that's, that's one that's quite obvious. And um, anyway, we as a country that we certainly have that black eye, that stain in our, our character overall. You see, the women have become desperate and, and uh, have done horrific acts. Let's, let's keep going in Lamentations chapter 4. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. Now, delicacies and dressing in purple is a sign of wealth uh, in, in the scriptures. These people had it all. And now, though, they're desperate, and they're embracing ash heaps, and they perish in the streets, they're as desperate as the poverty-stricken ones of Judah, of Jerusalem. Their, their, their wealth has, it, it means nothing at that point. Under the judgment of God, earthly wealth means nothing. Hmm. I wonder if we've seen that anywhere. Early, earlier we uh, during the first meeting, we thought about a parable in the book of Luke. How about another one in the book of Luke? In Luke 16, there is a parable about, actually, there's a couple of parables about, about money. But there's the one called the rich man and Lazarus, which may indeed be a true story, Lazarus could be the, the friend of Jesus. I, I don't think we know that for sure. But anyway, there's, here's this, this story of the rich man. He, he lived in luxury. He had the best food. He had the best clothing. And then uh, it says, and there's the poor man, Lazarus, and he had nothing. And he had to beg to, to try to get enough food to eat and they both died. It says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. And so you see that this man, he had it all, and now he was in torment. And this other one, he had nothing, and now he's at, in he's being comforted, and he's in paradise, essentially. And so wealth is is nice while it lasts but there's comes a time when it's completely use useless and um uh, that's the case here that, that was the case here in the book of lamentations the people of jerusalem suffered and suffered and after uh, month after month of being surrounded whether you were wealthy or not before the siege um you you were definitely poverty stricken at that point for the, for the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. So you remember Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and the Old Testament speaks of, of a time, and, and it was a, a time of uh, terrible sinfulness, homosexuality, and they were destroyed and destroyed virtually instantly and and this passage says the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom how could it be worse than what sodom went through well because the people of jerusalem suffered day after day after day after day let's see 18 months times 30 Days on average would be what 540 days of suffering? Whew, that's a lot of suffering. And day after they suffered slowly. And the people of Sodom, boom, is very quick. That doesn't sound very just of God. That seems surprising that God's people would be judged so slowly that his nation would would be judged so harshly, and yet the, this, this, this uh, city of really uh, awful immorality was judged rather quickly. How could that be? There's actually a, a term, let's see, where is this term? Um, one theologian I was reading from, Trying to find my notes here. Where is that? Speaks of different levels of suffering in eternity. Degrees of despair was his term. That's right. Degrees of despair. It appears that some people will have it. Everyone in hell. Everyone will be in torment. It appears that some, the despair will be deeper than others. That's a strange comment, right? Strange, or a strange situation, but uh, you know, this is not just some theory or philosophy. This actually goes back to a couple of passages in which Jesus spoke Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And it doesn't matter, hell's going to be awful for all. But it seems like it's going to be even worse for some than for others. Truly, I say to you in Matthew 10, verse 15, truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And for that, So you see, there is going to be, some are going to suffer even worse than others, Matthew 11, Matthew 11, verse 20, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent, so he did these great and mighty works, and, and, you know, uh, just yesterday, my wife and I were driving along and, and listening to um, some of the gospels, and about, about a, lot, a lot of the miracles that Jesus was performing. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus were performing these miracles for us still today? I mean, he does miracles still today. And we had to remind ourselves of that. But, um, you know, it's just less obvious, right? When he did miracles, it was quite obvious that this was something uh, supernatural. And so in Matthew 11, verse 20, he denounced those cities where he did those mighty works Woe to you, Corazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. So these towns had some information, some revelation about the Lord that Tyre and Sidon hadn't had, and so it's going to be more bearable, less excruciating, less horrible in the day of judgment for them than for these ones who had received so much more news and information, revelation about Jesus Christ. It makes me wonder if, uh, and this passage back in Lamentations as well, where the punishment for my people for for god's people has been greater than that of sodom makes me wonder if does that mean that those who have grown up hearing the gospel they've gone to church all their lives they've gone to camp they've listened to their parents and they still reject the gospel does that mean they will suffer worse than those who've maybe never heard could be, I, that's not something I can say for sure, but it sure looks like that That may well be the pattern that, uh, that, that you get from this whole idea. Anyway, we see that the suffering for the people of Jerusalem, the people of, of Judah, God's chosen people was horrible. Happier, verse 9, happy were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by the lack of fruits of the field. And so they were hungry for month after month and uh, such a hard, hard uh, situation. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children, which I read there. Now, verse 11 here is a key verse in Lamentations chapter 4. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath he poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. Think of that, full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger. We all love to think about the love of the Lord, don't we, right? Rightly so. And the Bible, let's face it, talks, probably talks about the love of the Lord more often. And certainly in the New Testament, we hear more about that. But God is loving. God is also a God of wrath. God is a God of justice. God is a God of holiness. And he's he's love. He's grace. He's mercy. He's holy. He's just. He's a God of wrath. And uh, we love him for all of it. And we fear him. We revere him for all of it as well. He gave full vent to his wrath. This was his chosen people, and he gave full vent to his wrath. One thing that I take from the book of Lamentations is a reminder that God, God might treat me a little rough sometimes. Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that as a father disciplines the son he loves, God disciplines his children and his discipline is not always a happy occasion. When I got in trouble with my father growing up, it wasn't always a happy occasion. I'd uh, get a spanking or whatever it was and uh, sometimes we get spankings from the Lord and some, some of the difficulties we go through is just a result of living in this fallen world, and it's not our fault. Some some, um, of the difficulties we go through are just because of dumb mistakes we do, not necessarily sinful, but stupid. You know, dumb things we do, unwise things, but not necessarily sinful. Some of the hardships we go through are because of sinful things that other people do. And some of the hardships we go through are because of our own sin. Just a result of them. and along with that, a whole lot of the time, I think, or at least some of the time, it's it's discipline from the Lord saying, "Wake up, Stefan, pay attention, stop doing this, or start doing that and uh, start living the holy life that I want you to live. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that the foe or enemy could enter the gate of Jerusalem. And so it was a shocking thing to these other nations. Wow, Babylon actually destroyed Jerusalem? I can't believe it. Why did God do this? This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. One thing that this reminds me of is that leaders and teachers have extra responsibility, right? If we're teaching Sunday school, if we're teaching our children, if we're preaching, if we're leading the local assembly, we've got extra responsibility. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Whew. So that should um kind of help us to make sure we're we're careful when we're preparing a Sunday school lesson or we're preparing a VBS lesson or, or camp or or a sermon or whatnot that we uh, those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not that we shouldn't be teaching. We should look for opportunities to open the Word with people. That's great, and that's you'll learn a lot. But when we do so, we should also um, seek to, to do so well and accurately and ask the Lord for, for a lot of help. They wandered blind, the leaders here, the, they wandered blind through the streets, they were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. These are former, um, uh, these are prophets or leaders, priests, uh, you know, the l- religious leaders of the Jews and they're yelling, away, unclean, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. Other chapters in Lamentation really, uh, really emphasize God doing the destruction of Jerusalem. This This uh, chapter doesn't emphasize it as much, but here is a little hint of it anyway. The Lord himself has scattered them. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. What's this all about? You can imagine Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem, they've been surrounded by this powerful army of Babylon. Maybe people have tried to get out to escape and the army has caught them and punished them severely. Um, they can't get food in. They can't get out. Just people dying. They're desperate. What can I do? There's nothing I can do. What would the people do? They probably got up on the wall, got in towers and are looking, looking hoping someone comes, maybe they're looking towards Egypt, Egypt, will you come and help us, please help us, or someone else, looking and hoping that someone will come and help us, that's probably, that, I think that's what's going on here in this passage, our eyes failed ever watching and vainly for help, in our watching we watch for a nation which could not save, who should they have gone to for help? Not other nations. The Lord wanted them to go to him for help. Of course, at this point, (laughs) there's suffering, but maybe if they had repented and said, Lord, I'm sorry that we've looked to other nations over the years and Done these treaties that we were not supposed to do over the years. Maybe the Lord would have relented some of this, um, some of this that they went through. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. Verse 20, the breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed is a term for the king of Judah or Israel. Remember David, for instance, is called the Lord's anointed. Saul was anointed to be king. Remember Samuel anointed him to be king. So he's called the Lord's anointed, and they referred to him as the breath of our nostrils. I think they're talking about King Zedekiah there. He was captured in their pits of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. They're talking about Zedekiah. Under his, under King Zedekiah's shadow, we shall live among the nations. We'll be safe. Because of Zedekiah, they should have been safe, saying we'll be safe because of the Lord, right? They've got their focus in the wrong place. Do you think we ever fall victim of that here in America? I think we do, don't we? I think even believers, we sure talk a lot about whoever's president right now, our current president, or who is before him, or who is before him, and so on. We sure pay a lot of attention to that. It's li- I'm not saying we shouldn't pay any attention to our leaders. We should be praying for them more than we are complaining, but it's very easy to complain about them or make fun of them. Um, but we should, be, uh, we should be praying about them, and we shouldn't be looking to them as being our security. If we're if our hope and our security is in our governmental leaders, that's, that's silly at best. And it's, it's I, I think you'd even call it idolatrous because you're looking to man at what we ought to be looking for the Lord, uh, looking to the Lord for. We said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. That ought to be about the Lord, not about the king. But it was unfortunately about the king. This idolatry. I'll try to get to that in a minute. Last two verses. This, uh, this is kind of the, uh, the subtle hope, uh, the subtle joy of Lamentations chapter 4. Rejoice and be glad. Who's, who's supposed to be rejoice and be glad? O daughter of Edom. Well, Edom, why is that joyful? Edom is another nation. Edom is a nation that's right right next to Judah, and they had they weren't friend, they weren't on friendly terms with, with uh, God's people. Um and but and in fact, I think they had helped the Babylonian, the Babylonian army a little bit during their 18 months. But uh, it says, rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. Go ahead and rejoice for a while now, because Jerusalem's destroyed. Rejoice, but to you also the cup shall pass. You shall be drunk and and strip yourself bare. Trouble's coming ahead for you as well, Edom. So be glad now, but trouble's ahead. Now, Verse 22, speaking to Jerusalem, to Judah, the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. People have been captured, taken into exile, but it's not going to last very long. They're going to be taken out. And it lasted 70 years, this exile. they were, And they came back from Babylon. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. And... Um, came back to the nation, uh, came back to the promised land. He will keep you in exile no longer. So there is the subtle joy here. And yeah, it's terrible what has happened, but a little hint of the fact that you're going to return here. But you, uh, but you, but your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. And don't you think that the people of J- Judah found a little bit of uh, joy in knowing that, yes, the people of Edom would suffer for their sins, including the sin of of helping helping Babylon. Well, just a, a few notes, a few reminders from this passage. One is that God hates sin. God despises sin. And he had warned the people of Judah, repent of your sin, turn away from it. They hadn't done it. Over and over again, uh, he warned them, and they didn't, and so God is faithful. He said he would punish them for their sins, and so he did. He is faithful. He's faithful to do what he promises. He's faithful to do what he uh, threatens as well. I'd like to think a little bit more about idolatry just for a couple of minutes, because idolatry was really where it was at. And the people of Judah were were uh, worshiping false gods, and had been warned by Jeremiah, turn away from that and turn back to the true God. And uh, and and so in Jeremiah chapter four, uh, Lamentations chapter four, again verse seventeen, our eyes failed ever watching vainly for help, and are watching. We watch for a nation which could not save. Uh, we we want a nation to save us rather than hoping and trusting in the Lord, they were hoping in, in, for some other nation to come and be their salvation. And so the, that was that was a sense of idolatry, looking to some other nation to do what we really need the Lord to do. Or verse 20, is, as has been mentioned, of whom we said, Under his shadow we shall live among the nations looking for protection ultimately from the king rather than ultimately from the Lord. And there's a sense of idolatry. Idolatry is, is, is kind of like adultery. Adultery in marriage is about as bad as it gets, right? Where you do something with someone that you're supposed to do with your spouse and so deeply, deeply hurtful. Well, within you know, in God's eyes, if we if we go to someone else for what He should be providing, well, that's a, a grievous sin. It's harmful to us, and it, it's something He despises. And that's what happened here with the people of Judah, and and they could have repented of their sin, and God would have taken them back, and 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 said oh, I love you and I forgive you, but they did not do that. And so finally, in order to lead them back to, away from idolatry and back to himself, he did what he needed to do. He disciplined his children. And um, in fact, from what I've read, and I've heard this in a few places, and I just wanted to check again, and I read it again this week, that really Israel hasn't had that much of a of an idolatry problem since then, it's somewhat cured them. Now, at least as far as the explicit and obvious um, idolatry of worshiping false gods, wor- worshiping Baal, and so on. they've They've largely left that um, sense this this time, but with an, an enormous it's an enormous issue in the whole uh, scriptures, especially in the Old Testament and you see over and over again this teaching against idolatry or the teaching that there is one true god and you must worship him only it's in the the ten commandments and and uh, you see when david and goliath fought was that a a lesson on what's the best weapons to use that a slingshot is a great weapon uh, or was that a lesson on uh you don't need armor it was a lesson that the God of Israel is infinitely greater than the God of the Philistines. At least that's part of the lesson there of uh, of David and Goliath. And so, you know, all over the place, uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. That's not a lesson that uh, water is more flammable than than gas and wood. It's a lesson that the God of of uh, Israel and of Judah and of Elijah is infinitely greater than the prophet, than the, the God of the prophets of Baal, than, than Baal himself. And so, idolatry varies. There's different types of idolatry. One is worshiping these obvious false gods like that. By the way, it's a common idea that people have yeah, the God of the Bible is wonderful. So is. Allah, and so is the gods of Hinduism, and so are these other gods, but that's not an option. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. God says there is one God. You must worship him only, and uh, this idea that there's a lot of very sound gods, and you should worship all of them, that's uh, that's, that's a lie from, from the pit of hell. So that's one type of, of uh, idolatry, worshiping carved images, worshiping a created thing. We thought, uh, we looked at Romans chapter one earlier today, right? And uh, we thought about the beauty of creation, right? And uh, the brothers who express the beauty of creation, had they have the right view the and the right response to the beauty of creation. See, some people will see this these beautiful leaves out there, and they'll say, "God, thank you for giving these beautiful leaves out there. It's glorious." And some will say, "These leaves are so beautiful. Oh, Earth, you are wonderful. Oh, trees, I bow down to you." You know, people will 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 worship the creation rather than the Creator, as Romans one says, "Who is blessed forever." And a result of that is is uh, Terrible things that you see in society that's happening in America as well. Well, there's another type of uh, idolatry. That was one I was guilty of as a believer in Jesus. And in fact, I still fall into this from time to time, maybe frequently. That's when you put something at s- in such a high regard that, you, that it takes away from your love or devotion to the Lord or your, your fear of God or your depending on something or someone else to such a degree that you're lessening your dependence on the Lord. That's, that's what what Christians today really need to be most concerned about as a general rule is putting whatever it is. Maybe it's fame, maybe it's money, Maybe it's our job, it's friends, it can even be family that keeps us from a more devoted walk with Jesus Christ. All sorts of different things. It's gonna be football on this afternoon. Rats, why did I say that? So some people will be tempted to skip church so they can go early to the football game or to get out of church quickly I noticed, Elaine, where did you go? What time do the Vikings play? Just kidding. Oh, or or a preacher who quits the sermon early so he can get down to the food. That would be a terrible thing to do. I'm almost done. (laughs) When I was in junior high, I loved tennis. That was right Lydia you remember this one That was what I lived for. and Judy, do you remember this? yep so and and that's what I really care. I didn't really care about serving Jesus and that's even though I had gotten saved when I was about seven or eight years of age. Um, but uh, I want to play tennis every day, put all my money, went to tennis, etc. And then I realized when I was a sophomore or in high school, I was living for something that doesn't last. And I devoted my life to the Lord. And Romans 12, one type of a moment. Mm. Taking, uh, taking tennis off of the throne and putting Jesus back on the throne where he belongs. Unfortunately, I take I, I put other things on the throne once in a while still. We all do. And we need to confess our sin and put Jesus back on the throne, if you will, or or lay ourselves back on the altar of Romans 12, verse 1, a living sacrifice to keep away from the idolatry, a little different form of it, but the idolatry that wiped out Jerusalem can wipe out uh, believers walk with Jesus still today. So that's uh, a danger for us. So the book of Lamentations is not a book of a lot of laughs and a lot of uh, fun and that sort of thing. It's probably not many people's favorite book of the Bible, but it has some good reminders to us to avoid, the, uh, avoid idolatry, to uh, uh, hate sin, and to love holiness as we love the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for, again for your word. We thank you that you do love us that you care for us, that you give um, us passages like this, even though they're less, um, maybe less easily joyful passages, they teach us some important things, Lord. Use this passage to remind us to live wholeheartedly for you, that we would have no idols, that we would have nothing that takes us away from our walk with you, that uh, when we enjoy the, the beauties of creation, we would take that and give you thanks. When we uh, enjoy the uh, blessings of a good meal or of good friends, we would take that and give thanks to you and serve you more wholeheartedly. And we thank you for, for such simple blessings and we thank you for the great salvation that you've provided through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he took the ultimate punishment for our sins, that there's no more price to pay for our sins, that it's been taken care of at the cross. Thank you for your great salvation. Help us to proclaim it to so many people that we know who need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.